Amen. That's so, such a blessing just to be able to worship our Savior together. And thank you to Luke and the team for just taking us and centering our hearts and our thoughts and our minds just on the gospel and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Um, there's, there's no greater thing that we could sing about or celebrate. There's no better way, uh, I think, that we could use our time this morning than to just be reminded of what God has done and to fix our eyes, fix our affections, fix our hearts on, on Him and on the gospel. And so we're just going to continue doing that. You know, so we've sung about the blood, and we've sung about Christ coming again, we've sung about redemption. We're going to be talking about that this morning from the book of Colossians. And so if you have your Bible, I'll just encourage you to go ahead and turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, you can find resources for the book on your way out or online. Uh, some reading guides we'd encourage you to use. And what we're trying to do as a church body and family is, is over the next few months, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians together. So we're encouraging is that every week reading through the book of Colossians. This is four chapters. Uh, it's not one of Paul's longest books. And so um, it, it, as we go through it again and again and again, I think what you'll find is you're, you're going to see new things. You're going to be challenged in different ways. You're going to see the dots connecting. And there's some alternate passages we'll read from other uh, places in Scripture. And, and it's going to begin growing your understanding of the gospel and understanding of what God has called you to for your life and for our church and how those things crisscross. And so if, you, if this is your first time with us, I I encourage you to go back and listen to the last uh, couple sermons. You can grab them online and get those, get those documents and resources that we'll be talking about in life groups together as we pursue the Lord through the book of Colossians. And so uh, we're going to be in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Uh, the scripture will be on the screen, but if, if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to give one to you. There's one in the seat backs in front of you. That would be our gift to you. We'd love for everyone to have a copy of God's Word. And so let me just pray for us again and just ask the Lord uh, just to fix our eyes on Him. And as I pray, I'll invite you to pray as well for yourself and for those around you, that God would just make Himself known to us, the Holy Spirit would move in this place. So let's just pray again. Father, we, we come in need of you. We need you. Father, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. We pray that there would be nothing known in this room except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, I pray that what we read today would not just be information that we take into our minds, but I pray that it would be uh, something that the Holy Spirit opens our souls and our beings to see and understand that it convict us of sin, it would convict us of, of, of disobedience, it would convict us of what you've called us to. I pray that we'd see the hope that's grounded in this passage that comes from you and for what you've called us to. And I pray that you'd change us. I pray that you'd transform us into your image. Father, I pray for my friends and for myself that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will. And being filled with the knowledge of your will, I pray that they would walk in a manner that is worthy of their calling, worthy of the Lord, that just displays your worth for a watching world to see. I pray you do that in this place this morning. We need you. It's the name of Jesus Christ and his blood that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we dive into this text this morning, here's kind of what I want you to think about as, as we go into this passage. We've looked at the beginning of Colossians, the kind of introduction, and who's Paul, and what does it mean for him to be apostle. We've, we've kind of looked through his uh, welcome and his greeting, and he's just 
thankful and he's celebrating the things that are happening in the church. It's where we did last week how their faith in Jesus Christ is known to the watching world. Their love for the saints is known and evident and seen. That their hope is in heaven, it's not on this earth. And that hope compels them to live out the gospel. Uh, And so out of that thankful heart, Paul says, I want more for you. Yes, encouraged by your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm so excited that your love for the saints is known and that your hope is in heaven and the gospel is bearing fruit in your life as it is in the whole world, but I want more for you. And I think we can all relate this morning. Uh, We all have people in our lives that we love and we care about, whether it's a spouse, children, parents, friends. And if we were to get down to it, and if you and I were to sit down and have coffee and a conversation, and you were to bring this person up for me, up to me in, that, in conversation, I think there would be certain things that you want for them, that you want to see them experience, you want to see them know, you want to see happen in their lives. And so this is Paul's desire for the church. I, I have three children, we're expecting one more, and there are things I want for my kids, and parenting is, it's, it's an everyday adventure, it's an everyday battle sometimes, it feels like, and there are things that I want for my kids. My oldest son, Jack, he's, he's four, he'll be five soon, uh, and he's a rule follower, like he likes things in a certain way, and I guess that's typical firstborn, I don't know, but he follows the rules, he listens at all the times you don't want him to listen, and he pays attention to the things that you, you don't, and a lot of times the things that you do he doesn't get, and several it was months ago now, we were talking in a conversation, and he was disobeying, and so my wife was correcting him on his disobedience, and, and, and uh, consequences were getting ready to come, and Jack looked at mommy, he's like, well mommy... God says we're supposed to forgive people, right? And if we're always supposed to forgive, then you should forgive me for disobeying you, right? Like, yes, God forgives you, we don't, you know? So, no, just kidding, that's not what we said, but walk through that. There are consequences to our actions, so he, but he's, he's kind of trying to figure out how the whole this thing works. And Evie, she's younger, she's three and will be four soon, and she's all passion, and some days I love Jesus, and the next day I'll come in, she's like, Daddy, I don't love Jesus, I don't like him, I'm afraid of Jesus you know, and it's like, why are you afraid of Jesus? I don't know, he scares me, you know, so we're like walking through what that means, and then my youngest son, Camden, he has no clue, you know, he just does what he wants, and he's upset when things get in his way, and he's just a little old man who looks kind of like a pirate, you know, he's 19 months old, and he doesn't have a lot of hair on top, and he has a cracked tooth, and we recently, I didn't even know this was possible, he had to have a root canal at a 19-month-old, yes, poor kid, and so now he has a silver tooth as well, so he's our little silver pilot walking around, and I don't even know what baby number four is going to be like, but I tell you all this to say, there are things I want for my kids, there are things I want to see happen in their lives, there are things that I want to see them become, there are things I want them to love the Lord, I want them to follow the Lord, I want them to know Jesus, and, and so here's what I want you to think about this morning as we get into this passage, if there was someone in your life who you love dearly, and you could only say one last thing to them, something that you wanted for them, something that you were praying for them, what would it be? What would be the one thing? If you could give one challenge, one word of advice, one admonition, what, what would it be for that person you love and care about dearly? 
And that's what's happening in this passage we're about to read. Paul, he's, he's said what he's thankful for in the church, but now he's saying, this is what I want for you. This is what I long for you. Here's the one thing. And so we're just going to look at just a few verses. And it's not an incredibly difficult text to understand, but it's a powerful one. And I think if this one thing that he longs for the church of Colossae were to become true of us, I think it would change everything for us. It would change our marriages. It would change the way we look at school. It would change our friendships. It would change the way we parent. It would change the way we look at retirement. If this thing that Paul prayed for the church, praying for us as well, became true of us, it would change everything. So let's look at what this is. Verse 9. And so... From the day we heard, heard of what? Heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, your love for the saints, the hope of inheritance, the gospel is bearing fruit, all the things that we've read up to this point. We have not ceased to pray for you. So he's praying for the church at Colossae. But then he gets very particular. We're not just praying in general for you. There's something very specific. Here's the one thing. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. This is the one thing, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. We'll we'll talk about what that means in just a second. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance, and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, this is what we were just singing about, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So what I want to do in the time we have is just walk through this passage. There's really just one aim in this prayer, and then we see the purpose in it. So there's really just two points in this message. And then Paul gives just four ways that this plays out in our lives. So let's just look at this together. The first thing is this. We see Paul's passion. And his passion, his longing, his desire for the church at Colossae, for you, for me as the church, is that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. This is his prayer. This is his one thing. This is the thing that's going to set up the rest of the letter and the rest of the book. Everything else that comes out of Colossians leads us back to this one thing. His prayer for the church. My prayer for you this morning. My prayer for my family and for my children. My prayer for me is that you and I and they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. So what does that mean? So let's just kind of break these words down and walk through this together. And if you're taking notes, um, some of these things are available for you online as well. So he says this, asking that you may be filled. What does that mean? Well, the picture of filled is filled to the fullest extent. So it's the same word that Paul, or that's used in Acts 2 when the apostles are in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fills the room all the way full. The Holy Spirit is in the whole room. It's the same word that Paul uses later on in Ephesians 5.18 when he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Same word, filled with the Spirit. And here's the picture, is that you and I would be so 
full of the knowledge of God that there would be no room for anything else to guide our lives. That the thing that drives us, the thing that motivates us, the thing that pushes us more than anything else is the knowledge of his will. So imagine if I had up here a table and a cup and a big picture of water and I didn't want to do this because I'd spill it all over the place. And let's say I just filled that cup up to where it's overflowing. There's no room for anything else. You can take a different source of liquid. You can try to pour more in, but it, it won't contain any more. That, that is the picture here. That you and I would be so full of the knowledge of his will that it controls and compels everything that we do. So this is his prayer, that they would be so filled. Filled with, uh, filled with what? The knowledge of his will. The knowledge of his will. This is, this is his prayer. That the church then, the church now, would be filled with an understanding of God's will. Now what is God's will? A lot of times for us, when we think of God's will, we think of God's will for our lives. So a lot of the conversations that happen about God's will are, where should I go to college? Who should I date? Who should I marry? What career path should I have? How many kids should I have? Should we move to that house? Should we move to this house? Which church should we go to? Which should, what is God's will for my life in all of these things? Well, this isn't what Paul's praying. He's not praying that they would have all their questions about life answered. He's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Look, look at what he says. Pray to be filled with the knowledge of not his will for all things in your life, but his will. So the question we need to be asking this morning, that you need to ask, and I need to ask, is what is his will? And the good thing is that God's word tells us his will. His will is given to us through his word. So his will is the great commission. That we would go, therefore, baptizing in his name. That we would make disciples that we would teach them to observe all that he's commanded us. That we would share our faith. This is God's will for us. God's will is that we would love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our might. The, these things are the will of God. That you would flee sin. That you would pursue the Lord. That they're all throughout God's word. And so this is what Paul is praying. Is that you and I in the church at Colossae that would be so full of an understanding of God's will, which is revealed through God's word, that it would impact everything that we do. That you and I wouldn't make decisions based upon what we think is best for us, or what's most comfortable, or what's most beneficial, or what gains us the most, or what makes people like us the most, or what gets the most likes on Instagram, or whatever those things are, but that we would make decisions based upon what is God's will, and how do I align my life with the will of God. I love Psalm 127, and Psalm 127 uh, says, this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What, what does that mean? It means that you can either try to build your kingdom, and it's not going anywhere, or you can invest your life in God's kingdom. So when we are filled with the knowledge of the will of God. What we're saying is, God, I don't want you to come bless my stuff. Lord, I want to reorient my life around your kingdom, 
your will. This is the prayer that Jesus teaches the disciples to pray and we to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come, your kingdom come through my life. Your will be done. It's a desire, and this is so hard for us, but it's getting to the point in our lives when we desperately more want God's will to come about than our will. And so where the rubber meets the road is when I look at my life and I look at my kids. and I, in, in my mind, I, I want to be with my wife and us to live and have a long, happy life and our kids to grow up and grow old and have kids and us to have a long, happy life. But do I want that more than I want God's will for my life? Do I want more for my kids to be safe and to grow up here and to get a good job and have a family? Or do I want God's will more, even if that means that he sends them across the world to a place that does not love him and they die proclaiming the gospel? That's hard, right? But this is the prayer. It's saying, Lord, I want your will to be done. So the prayer that Paul's praying over the church is that you would be filled with an understanding of God's will, a knowledge of God's will so full that it changes the way that you live and make decisions. And he goes on to say, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is spiritual wisdom and understanding? Well, he's saying there's a difference between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. Worldly wisdom is based upon knowledge and doing what's best in circumstances. Spiritual wisdom means we make decisions based upon this book. Spiritual wisdom and understanding means that we choose to pursue God through his word. We're people of the word. We're people of the book. We're people who let this word guide our lives, direct us. That we're people who study it, delight it. We're like the psalmist in Psalm 1 who says, I delight myself in the law of the Lord day and night. He becomes like a tree planted by rivers of water that yields forth its fruit in its season. This is Paul's prayer for them. So here's the question that you and I should be asking Is the knowledge of the will of God filling your life or my life? What's guiding the decisions you make? What's guiding your choices? What's guiding the way you live? And the prayer that Paul's praying over this church and praying over us, this one thing, this passion, is that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will. That our hearts would be focused on that. So here's the question that you and I should be asking. Why? Why? Why would Paul pray this prayer? Why would he pray this prayer of the church? He could have prayed because we know there's false teaching going on in the church. It's one of the reasons why he's writing. It's one of the reasons why he says spiritual wisdom. He clarifies it because there is false uh, teachers that are infiltrating the church and we see this later on in the letter. So Paul could have prayed the one prayer, get rid of those false teachers, God. Or he could have prayed, Lord, protect them from the suffering that they're going through. Or he he could have prayed, grow their church, grow their numbers. That's, That's not what he prays. Instead he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Why? Why? Why would that be his prayer? Why should that be our prayer? Why should that be our one thing? 
Well, thankfully, he tells us, and this brings us to our second point. Look at verse 10. So as. Okay, so if you circle or underline in your Bible, this is really important. So as. So this is the reason why he's praying this prayer. This is the reason why you and I should want to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the passion is that they would know the will of God. The purpose underneath the passion, the reason why he's praying this prayer is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So this is the second kind of point that I want you to think about. The purpose of the prayer is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. His passion is that they would know the will of the Lord. The purpose is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is what you and I were created for. This is what we were made for. This is what we were saved for, if you're a believer in the room. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is why you exist. If you come in this morning and you're trying to figure out your purpose, you're trying to figure out your fit, you're trying to figure out your place in this life, in this world, why you're breathing on this planet, why God has given you life for today, this is the reason. It's why you're here. It's why I'm here. It's why my family is here. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord if you're a Jesus follower. To bring glory to God. Your life exists to bring glory to the one who's worthy. Your Savior. So what does Paul mean when he he says walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, let's talk about walk, okay? He's, he's not advocating power walking, okay? That's not the point of this passage. For those of you who are power walkers, like, yes, I love to go do the walking track. And those of you who are like swimmers or bikers or runners, like, oh, man, you know, Paul's like against that version of cardiovascular exercise. No, that's not the point. That's not what he's saying. When he says walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, he's talking about live your life in a manner worthy of the Lord. It comes from Genesis 17 when God tells Abraham, walk in a way that's blameless. And the Pharisees and the scribes took up this language and would use it. And it's used all throughout the New Testament as a word picture. That just like you walk from one place to another, you and I are called to live our lives in a way that makes much of Jesus. That's what he's saying. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the second question that we should ask is, what does it mean to be worthy of the Lord? Because is Paul saying here that you can live your life in such a way to make yourself worthy in God's eyes? Yes or no? No, right? Paul can't be saying that, hey, if you do good enough, if you try hard enough, if you go to church enough, if you read the Bible enough, if you give enough, if you love your neighbor enough, then you'll become worthy in God's eyes. Because all throughout Scripture, we know that there's no worth in us, that everything we do is in opposition to God, that we have a sin nature and that we're broken and we run from God. So there's nothing in us that is worth or makes us worthy before him 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. It's familiar to you guys. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. Okay? Not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul cannot be saying that there's a way that you and I can live that makes us worthy. The prophet Isaiah says something similar in Isaiah 64, 6. It'll be on the screen. We've all become like one who's unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Our very, very best that we can offer is worthless rags. I'm going to get into what those words really mean, but it's kind of gross, the connotation that's there. It's just filthy rags. It's our very best means nothing. So how can you, how can I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord if our very best effort and our very best is so far short? What does it mean for us to be worthy of the Lord? Well, here's what it means. Paul's not saying that you and I live in such a way that we are make ourselves and our worth at a level that's acceptable to God. Because the only way we become acceptable to God is through Jesus Christ, right? I mean, we get into the later part of this passage. It talks about in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Him Jesus who knew no sin so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So our worth and our standing comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying when he's saying, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? And here's the big thing that I want you to grab hold of, okay? What he's saying is this, that you and I have been called by God. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian in this room, and if you're not, that's okay. We're glad you're here. We want you to listen. We want you to ask questions. You can disagree. I would love to talk to you about that. We welcome you here if you don't know the Lord. But if you are here and you do know the Lord, what Paul is saying is that you and I have been created and called by God to live in such a way that the worth of Jesus Christ is on display through our lives. That's what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. That the things that you say and the things that you do and the way that you live and the decisions you make magnify the worth and beauty of our Savior. So this is why Paul prays the prayer. I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will because if we understand the will of the Lord and we commit our lives to the will of the Lord, then the decisions that we make and the way we spend our money and the way we raise our kids and the way we choose to go to school and the way we act while we're there and the way we look at our profession, we will make choices in line with God's will which will then magnify the worth of God for all to see. You can live... Christian, a life that makes Jesus look glorious. This is your calling. This is my calling. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary who goes to the other side of the world. You can be a banker. You can be a stay-at-home mom. You can be a college student. You can be a high school student. Right where God has placed you, you can magnify the worth of Christ with your life. So this is Paul's prayer. This is one thing. that You be filled with the knowledge of His will. 
so that your life would declare and magnify the worth of Jesus Christ for the watching world to see. And he goes on to say, be fully pleasing to him. That There's a way that you can live as a Jesus follower that brings God pleasure. This word pleasure, it's, it's used throughout the New Testament. And it goes back to the picture of the Old Testament when they would offer sacrifices of incense and, and the animals. And the aroma would go up and it would be a pleasing sacrifice to God. This is the same ideas in Ephesians 5.1 when it talks about how our life can be pleasing to God. Or Romans 12.1 it says, what is your good and acceptable worship? There's a, a way that we can live our lives so that our lives bring pleasure and honor and glory to God. So if you're a Christian in this room, you were created by God, rescued by God through the Son, empowered with the Holy Spirit to magnify the worth of Jesus Christ to a watching world to see. That's your role as a parent. That's your role as a boss. That's your role as a friend. That's your role as a spouse. is that your husband or your wife would see the worth of Jesus through the way that you love your spouse. That your kids would see the worth of Jesus Christ through the way that you parent your children. That your friends and your classmates would see the worth and beauty of Jesus Christ through the way that you live there and you speak there. And that changes the world. And so what does it look like for us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Here's how I want to close. Paul gives four pictures of this. It's not the irreducible minimums. There are four ways that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There are four things that are true of people who walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the first is that they're growing, or I'm sorry, they're bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. If you're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, you're bearing fruit in every good work. He, he says, <clears throat> fully pleasing to him, verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. What does that mean? It means that in your life, your life is producing the fruit found in this book. Some of those things have already been mentioned early on in Colossians. Your faith in Jesus Christ. Do people, when they talk about you and they describe you, if I were to ask them, hey, can you tell me about so-and-so, would they say, oh man, one of the things that stands out about them is their faith. They just have an unwavering faith in Jesus Christ. I don't believe it, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but that person has faith in Jesus Christ. It, good work that's growing out of. Another one that he mentions earlier on in verse 4 is the love for the saints. A good work that should be growing out of our life is a love for the people of God. So do you love the people in this room? Do you know people in this room? Are you in a life group? Are you in a study group? Are you involved in membership? Are you invested in this family? We have family meetings here. Is that a priority for you? Not to go to a meeting, but to be with the family, to be a part of what God's doing here, to invest deeply because that is part of the good fruit that's born out of a life that's living in a manner worthy of the Lord evangelism. It talks about how the gospel is going out. 
I just want to challenge you, kind of an aside, that man, Easter is just a couple weeks away. It's one of the few times during the year when people will talk about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who are you praying for that doesn't know the Lord? Who are you inviting to come with you to church that day? Who are you engaging in gospel conversation? Us who have the truth, who have the hope of the world. Are we sharing it? Part of bearing fruit in every good work is that we are people who share the gospel with others. Earlier it says that the gospel came to you and you heard it. The only way it can be heard is if people speak it. So one way that we see that we declare the worth of Jesus Christ is by bearing good fruit. Another way is increasing in the knowledge of God. One way you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is by increasing in the knowledge of God. How do you increase in the knowledge of God? Through this book. Are you a person of the Word? Are you a person reading the Word? Are you a person meditating on the Word, memorizing the Word, praying the Word? If the only time you get in God's Word is on Sunday morning and then a little devotional throughout the week, that is not growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God is a diligent pursuit of Him through His Word, through teaching, through discipleship. And one of the things that I find so compelling and convicting is when Paul talks about the Word of God, and later on in the book he'll say, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What is the Word of Christ? Well, it's the Bible. What is the Bible for the church at Colossae and the Apostle Paul? The Old Testament. The Word of Christ is the Old Testament. The fullness of the gospel is the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. I mean, this is one of the letters being written. It wasn't compiled yet. And so when he's saying grow deep in the Word, he's saying grow in the understanding of the Old Testament because it's the Old Testament through which we understand Christ and fulfillment of the gospel. And so one of the marks of someone who is living a life that is worthy of the Lord is that you're increasing in knowledge and that knowledge changes the way you live. So if you know systematic theology up and down and right and left, and you can explain what penal substitutionary atonement is, and some of you are like, did he just say a bad word? Like, what is that? Uh, If you can explain what that is, but you don't love your spouse or love your kids, it doesn't mean anything. If you know all the doctrines of the faith, and you can explain God's word, but it doesn't compel you to walk across the street to your neighbor who is headed toward a Christless eternity and speak the truth of the gospel, it means nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. We understand all the prophetic wisdom of the world, but we have not love. It is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's worthless. So increasing in the knowledge of God is increasing in understanding, but it's an increasing in living it out. Third thing that makes Christ look glorious and the worth of God being on display, it says being strengthened for endurance and long-suffering. When we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, one of the byproducts is that we're being strengthened for endurance and long-suffering. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is a cool prayer, right? Be strengthened, be strong, dunamis, same word we get dynamite from. All the power that's found in God, I'm praying that will be found in you. Why? Not so you would be powerful in this world. What does he say? 
for all endurance and long-suffering. What's Paul getting at? If you want your life to magnify the worth of Jesus, there's no greater way that the worth of Christ is made real in your life than through your difficulty, suffering, hardship, and pain. Paul's not praying they would be strong so they can have a good life. He's praying they would be strong because they are going to suffer. Jesus promised, church, that for those who are in Christ Jesus, we will face tribulation, we will face persecution. Being a Jesus follower is not an easy life. It's a difficult life. But what makes God look glorious is not just going through a difficult life. What makes God look glorious is when we walk through difficulty, we walk through pain, and we do it saying, praise the name of the God who gives and the God who takes away. And when you walk through loss, and you walk through pain, and you walk through hardship, and your faith is grounded in the Lord, and your hope is grounded in Him, that makes Jesus look worthy. So Paul's praying for their suffering to come. They'd be strengthened with power to walk through it. Their hope would be made known. The last thing they says of a life that's worthy of the Lord is a life that gives thanks and joy. Giving thanks with joy. You want to make Jesus look worthy? You want to make him look glorious? Be thankful. One of the ways that Christ is most magnified in us is when we are a thankful people. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Why? He's qualified us. He's qualified you. Why, why does that matter? Because sin disqualifies us. We've been disqualified. I, I ran cross country in high school. I know you probably can't tell that now because I'm getting bigger. But I used to be super skinny and run all the time. I don't do that now. Running is painful and hard and I don't do it because it's painful and hard. But when we ran, there's a certain course you have to run. And if you try to cut the course or do it a different way, you get disqualified. And all of us trying to pursue God and trying to follow God on our own have been disqualified because of our sin. Because of our brokenness, we are disqualified. We are opponents. But the beauty of the gospel is that when we were disqualified, God qualified us through Jesus Christ. Because he lived a sinless life. He died a perfect death. And he died in your place, in my place, that anyone who places their faith in him, who turns from their sin and places their faith in God, becomes qualified, not because of what we do, not because we ran the race well, but because Jesus ran the race perfectly in our place. And so we have a reason to be thankful. And he goes on, he says, we've been delivered from the dominion of darkness and that we've all been in darkness, we've all been deceived, we've all been chasing lies and chasing things that fall short and trying to find happiness and joy in things other than the Lord. And that's the dominion of darkness. But he's transferred us from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. God doesn't just save you from sin, he brings you into his family. Amen? God could have just saved us from sin. He could have just rescued us from sin, but not made us son and daughters. But instead, he invites us into his family. And so this is what Paul's saying. There is nothing in your life that you should not, that should keep you from being thankful for what Christ has done. 
you can lose your job, your kids can get bad grades, you cannot get accepted to that school, that person can dump you, you can go through all kinds of difficulty, you can walk through cancer, you can lose a loved one, but we are still a people who should be thankful. Why? Because we've been rescued from darkness into light. And I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's just full of joy and full of thanksgiving. It's compelling. There was a friend who we went to seminary with when we were in Raleigh. My wife and I are there. Her name was Natalie. And she's just always thankful in the good things and the bad things and just the joy of the Lord overflowed. I loved hanging out with her because it was compelling. You want God to look worthy. If Jesus is going to look worthy in our lives, there has to be something compelling for the world to see. So in closing, church, is your life, is my life, and the way you're living your life, is it worthy of the Lord? Is it putting the worth of Christ on display? I'll invite the worship team up. They're going to lead us in response. But as we close, I don't want you to check out, I don't want you to leave, I want you to kind of look up here and I want you to listen. Is your life worthy of the Lord? Is your life fixed on the will of God? And so I want to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes just in a moment of response. And here's what I want you to think about. What is standing in the way of you living a life that is worthy of the Lord? A life that proclaims the worth of God to a watching world to see. And in this moment, this is an opportunity just to confess. Is there sin? Is there bitterness? Is there another joy that you're trying to find your hope in. Maybe the prayer for you and the prayer for your family should be, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Help me to be a person of your word. Help me to understand your will so I can devote my life to it so that I can live a life worthy of the Lord. For some in the room, you may not have a relationship with Jesus. You might know about God. You might know nothing about God, but you don't actually know him. You don't have a relationship with him. And so your life cannot be a picture of the worth of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that anyone who comes to him, repents of their sins, places their faith in Jesus Christ, they can be saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That can be you today. So we're just going to sing in this moment, and we're just going to fix our affections on the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ would be our passion, that his worth propelled and made known through us would be what we live for. And so as the team leads us, I just encourage you to pray and let this prayer be the passion of your heart. This is your time. You can respond however you want. Father, I just ask for my friends and for myself, I pray that we would be the kind of people who display the worth of Christ in all that we do because you are worthy. We are created for you. In you we find joy pray that our lives, our church, our family would bring glory and honor to your name.